0: Hmm. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to church. I'm Pastor Scott, and uh, you'll be hearing from me most of the time. Uh, My son, Andy, who gave announcements, actually will be preaching next week. I just have a little outpatient surgery thing on my foot this week, so uh, he'll be here in the pulpit next Sunday. Uh, Andrew, who just gave us a mission update, is an elder. And James, who's in the Sunday school with his wife, Courtney, is also an elder. So we're the leadership, and it's a blessing to see you and have you with us this morning. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we have been in a study of the book of Hebrews for a while now, and we're obviously nearing the end. And we're in the famous Hall of Faith. We've been taking our time sort of examining Uh, the different uh, people that are portrayed to us through this writer. And we'll pick it up at verse 20 and we'll look at three different men tonight, or today, sorry, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Hebrew 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying... Blessed, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel, and gave instructions concerning his bones. Wow, there's not a lot of information there. (laughs) Especially when you consider that um, Jacob and Joseph... Uh, pretty much encompass half of the book of Genesis. The narrative there in Genesis, uh, starting at chapter 28 to the end, is pretty much all about Jacob and Joseph and Jacob's family. But the writer condenses it down to just three little points regarding these three men. Um, I want to remind ourselves um, why we're doing this or what the point of this Journey through the Hall of Faith is for What's the point? And then I want to just tell you what the purpose of this message is today. So, go back to chapter 10 and look at verse 32 to 36 with me. And we'll see why the author is reminding us of these forefathers. Verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on the prisoners and joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves. Therefore, here it is, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Okay, so the people, because hardships had come to them, they started well, but they weren't finishing real well. They were beginning to falter in their faith and starting to drift away from God. And so the author, to really encourage them, takes us through this journey through what we call the Hall of Faith. And by the way, it's a living museum. Okay, The people that we're looking at are alive today. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is a living museum. Okay, Their bodies perished, but they went into the presence of God upon death. And we know that from Jesus' words in various places in the New Testament. Elijah and Moses, for example, showed up at the Mount of Transfiguration. The Sadducees, who questioned Jesus about the reality of the resurrection, Jesus said, whoa, didn't you hear what I said through the burning bush? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was. They lived their life. It's over. No, I am proving to them from the Bible that the resurrection is a real thing right? So it's a living museum. He's writing to encourage them to keep going. So my purpose this morning is to take the example of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and I want to frame it in the idea that uh, we're living in the kingdom of God. And I think that's the reality that these men lived in. They knew that they were living within the kingdom of God, which is a real kingdom, because God's a living God, So, as we stroll this museum, uh, we'll see the child of Abraham, who is Isaac, we'll see his grandchild, Jacob, and his great-grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were related, referred to uh, when Jacob blessed them, and, of course, Joseph. Uh, They were all chosen, uh, their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Abraham, who was chosen and called by Almighty God to follow him. Abraham, in one of the greatest testimonies of of faith in the living God, turned his back on his idols, his culture, his family, his home, his country, and traveled to Israel and settled there. And God gave him a great promise and a great covenant, the covenant of Abraham, that through his descendants... Would come a nation, and kings would come out of that nation, and ultimately the Messiah would come from his family line, and because of Jesus, the nations of the world will be blessed. And Paul really teaches this throughout the New Testament. So these children are the, the, the offspring, they're the descendants of Abraham. The reason I want to say that to you this morning is that uh, you may find some connection to these children in the sense that they were born and raised into a believing home. I call them PKs, which, you know, in, I guess, Western world, it's a pastor's kid, (laughs) right? So I have a few kids uh most uh, my life was not a pastor. Actually, I worked a, a civilian job. Civilian job? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a citizen. <laughs> it's a real thing, right? But uh, there's, a, you know, so these kids, Isaac, was born into and grew up into a home where his parents worshiped God. He didn't know anything else. This was just the way it was for him. And that was true for Isaac's twin boys, Jacob and Esau. So I say all that because I recognize that there are advantages and challenges to that very fact. Uh, Advantage, that you as a young child are exposed to the truth of the only true God. And you've seen by the good example of your parents as they worship and serve the Lord with humility and not in perfection so there's great advantages they you're, are the children and some of you have, uh, can relate to this you were this is what the family that you were born and raised in where my mom and dad or your mom and dad just love Jesus and you haven't known anything else and but there's also challenges in that kids grow up and then they begin to question everything <laughs> And that's okay. Um, and they'll say, well, is this really the only way? As they start to branch out and they find themselves on a secular college campus and where there's all kinds of proclamations of truth and challenges to the word of God. And, and your faith might be challenged. And you begin to wonder, have I been brainwashed by my old-fashioned narrow-minded parents? <laughs> Isaac owned it for himself. Jacob had the advantage and the challenges. They began to own it. They came into a personal relationship with God Almighty themselves. And so I just want to encourage you that each of these men, they came to personal faith in God Personal acceptance and belief, and into a relationship with God Almighty. And the thing that I enjoy about these three simple little verses is just that it's the simplicity and the beauty of these men and their families, in that there was one single focus, and that was in the Word of God and the character of God who gave them the Word of God, the promises. I love that. (laughs) The beauty and the simplicity that is revealed to us in these three heroes is that there was just one single focus in God and in His Word, not in an organization like the church. Don't misunderstand me. I am not downgrading the church. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. I say this to remind us that the church, church, our focus should be upon Jesus Christ, upon God Himself. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, Paul would say. Set your mind on things above, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. I say this because the church easily gets distracted. Distracted. We can go off the rails in a short period of time. And I take my cues from Jesus' words to the churches in Revelation. They got distracted by good works, Ephesus. Paul wrote an amazing letter to them, an amazing letter, the epistle to the church in Ephesus. But in a short period of time, in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, it's like you left your first love. But you're really busy doing stuff good stuff but you don't need me anymore repent and do the first work they got distracted they got corrupted by bad doctrine they got damaged by moral compromise i'm just this is an overview of four of the five of the seven churches some of them had a reputation for being alive jesus said you're dead there's no there's no spirit life in you there's no life of the Spirit working in you. And then finally, obviously, lukewarm. They were deceived by earthly things. So I say all that, church, in my long-winded introduction, just to say the simplicity and the beauty of these men is that they kept their eyes fixed on God himself and on his word. Okay? So might be a good time to just give you a little welcome message. <laughs> okay? Uh, As Pastor Randy said, if you're new to the church uh, and you're checking churches out, I will tell you that our main focus is what I've just told you, and we're going to exercise by faith, uh, encourage you in focusing and loving Jesus Christ through the preaching of the word, through singing, and through fellowship. That's what we're here for, okay? And... uh, I'll do my best and we, whoever's preaching from this pulpit, will do our best to give you something to chew on, to think about. <laughs> All right. I was thinking about this this week, uh, obviously knowing that we'd see some faith faces this morning. And uh, I was reminded that uh, there's a particular restaurant in town that I won't mention their name, but they advertise pretty heavily about their famous hamburger. <laughs> they have this Famous hamburger, famous in that it's been voted the best hamburger in town, like, multiple times. Well, a while ago, Joni and I were over in that part of uh, our world, and uh, it was dinner time, and I'm like, I'm going to go get the famous hamburger. And I got to tell you, it was the most disappointing experience of my (laughs) life. Like, they put this plate in front of me, and I'm not kidding you, the bread was, like, this high. And it was, like, French bread, really tough crust. It was like a lot of bread. And there's a little piece of lettuce sticking out of there. I lifted the bread up. There was hardly any meat in the thing. <laughs> that's not going to be your experience here. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Hopefully you're going to get some meat on the bone <laughs> when you come here. We're going to give you something to think about, something to chew on. And it's going to come from the Bible. Okay? We preach the Bible here. So uh, I'm just telling you that uh, we're committed to that as leadership. And uh, whoever's standing here, you're, that's what you're going to hear. Something that you can that will nourish your faith, that will edify your soul, it'll strengthen you as you walk in this world. Uh, so uh, that's, I guess, my introduction. Um, yeah, let's jump into the text. <laughs> All right, verse twenty. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Flip back to Genesis, if you would, uh, Genesis 27. Uh, You can put your finger in that Genesis if you'd like, because we're going to go back there three times to look at the actual reference that the author is referring to here. And here in Genesis 27, I'm going to avoid all the details of the scene and just jump right into Isaac's blessing of Jacob. Okay, Genesis 27, verse 28 and 29. Here's Isaac blessing Jacob. He says, therefore, Genesis 27:28, therefore may God give you, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Provision, coming from God. Blessing from God. Because God is good. This is life in the kingdom. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Really? (laughs) People are supposed to bow down to Israel as a nation? No, it's because God is in their midst. It's because God is worshipped among them. And, And God's a saving God. He loves people. And He's He's called Abraham and his family and now Isaac's passing it on to his son Jacob and they become a light and a testimony and a witness to the unsaved world. And so when it says that, it's it's because they recognize that there's a one true living God who is among his people. And then he says, be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. And again, it's because of the favor and the the presence of God among them that is mostly being what's communicated here. Let me just stop for a moment. I just want to think about this with you. What's the big deal about a blessing? (laughs) That was the question I had. Because for us, to bless someone, which we love one another, (laughs) right? We love to bless each other through words, and works, right? Where we just do acts of kindness, or say kind words, or we acknowledge people's characteristics, which are admirable, and we make mention of it. That's a blessing that you give to other people. So when we say, I mean, the author in Hebrews is making a big deal about this. As we stand in this living museum, looking at the portrait of Isaac, it's like, oh, so here's Isaac. He blessed his sons. We're like, Ah, big deal. He blessed him. What's all that mean? Well, recognize a couple of things. First of all, Isaac was the only living human being on the face of the whole earth who could say such a thing because God had established his covenant with his father, with his dad, Abraham. And Abraham conferred that, passed it on to his son Isaac. He's the only one whom this covenant, now he's inherited these rich promises of God. Hence, my friends, Isaac's words have significance that is unparalleled. They actually have a prophetic nature to them. And they come with authority that God has given him. He's essentially communicating to his son the promises and the word of God. And I want you to also just notice, and you can look again if you'd like, but he's not saying, this is not wishful thinking. He's not like, you know, Jake, I hope it goes well with you after I'm gone, bro. Uh, Your inheritance... (laughs) It's, it's define. Uh, sorry, my notes here. <laughs> I hope it goes well with you after I'm gone. He, you know, the, the, Then you can inherit all the things that I'm passing on to you. You can enjoy them while you live here on earth. Noah has a, a much deeper, a, a spiritual and, and divine aspect to it. It's divine favor that is being passed on to his son Jacob. Your inheritance comes from God's will, not from the will that I'm going to make for my stuff. It's from God's will. It's His favor upon you to be experienced and enjoyed while you live. His blessings from His sovereign and eternal power. His goodness to give you, to care for you, to give you food and drink and to protect you and to bless you and to cause you to be a witness. That's what this blessing is. So now that we see this, The point of the Hebrews is that Isaac lived by faith in the goodness of God until the day he died. And I hope that we'll draw some inspiration and some encouragement for that for ourselves. Again, avoiding all the details, Isaac had a lot of failures. And to be honest, his first attempt... Was to bless the wrong son because he wanted he preferred Esau over the one who got it chosen. He tried to do things his own way. And God, through a weird situation, kind of overrode that, right? And Jacob gets the blessing. So the point I think that the author has been saying to us is that even though Isaac never literally or physically saw with his eyes, this nation that God had promised, this massive number of descendants, he believed it by faith. And he could prophesy, and he could say with authority to his son, this is going to happen someday. He knew it to be true because he knew God. And therefore he was confident and he was convinced in the unseen reality Of the kingdom of God. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 13, for example. Back to Hebrews, sorry, if you would. Hebrews 11, verse 13, an appropriate little comment by our tour guide here in the Hall of Faith. He says, These all died in faith, and he's referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who he'd mentioned just a few verses earlier. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance or the realization of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you're with me, I hope you're with me, Isaac had this promise that was given to his dad, one man, passed it on to one man. And that promise was that through Abraham's genealogy would come a nation. Even though Isaac never saw it physically or literally, he was convinced and he embraced it. He knew that it was a fact because God said it. And he lived that way to the end of his life. Why is that important to you and me? Because Jesus rose from the dead and he went back to heaven. And the Bible tells me that if I put my faith in Christ, receive forgiveness for my sin, he promises me eternal life and I also will go to heaven. And though I've never literally or physically seen Jesus Christ and certainly haven't experienced death. I know for a fact, I am convinced and I embrace that fact. It is a living reality for me. My mom and dad have gone to heaven. They are alive in heaven. And I am strengthened by the truth of God and his word and his character. He can't lie. He's God. So hold on, brothers and sisters. Live in the goodness of God. This is the kingdom in which we live. It's God's kingdom. The fact of the blessing being passed on proved its reality. Although unseen in Isaac's lifetime. Let me say that again. And you might be questioning that comment. The fact of the blessing being passed on proved its reality ultimately. Even though Isaac never saw it. So let me just repeat to you. One man, Abraham, Gave the promise to one man, Isaac. Who gave the promise to one man, Jacob. Who had 12 sons. Who moved his family into Egypt. And at that time, there was about 70 of them. 400 years later, 2 million came back out. So all of you doubters of God's word... Behold the Jew. What God has said has come to pass, even to this day. Be encouraged. Have faith in your Bible. Take all your unbelief and come to Jesus and the truth of his death and resurrection for your sin. Fall in love with him. Trust what he says. Absorb his word through daily devotions and prayer and fellowship with others. Believe it. Obey him. The greatest way to learn more about Jesus is to do what he says. So just take a run through the Beatitudes. For example, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus famously said, Now that I've told you all these words, there's two types of people. One who builds his house on a rock and one who builds his house on the beach. And the storms are going to come and attack both homes. you going to attack your faith. You're going to be challenged to the depths of your soul. But one's going to stand and one's going to fall. What's the difference? One obeyed, and one didn't. They both heard, they both knew, they both made me memorize and could say words, but one obeyed out of love for Jesus, out of submission to his glory. And that home, and that life, we're talking about a life, not a house. That life was established strong upon the word. No compromise, no bad doctrine. Living in the spirit. Walking, being led by the Spirit, not dead but alive. Not lukewarm but hot. Doing good works, yes, by the strength and the mercy and the grace of God. Challenged in our faith, 100%. But I hold on to what I know to be true. What the Spirit has communicated to my heart and my mind. And I know I am a child of God. And because He lives, I will live. So don't cry for me when I die. If you happen to hear about that someday. (laughs) Because it's like, he went to heaven. As my friend Pastor Tony Felsione used to say, well, threaten me with heaven. Go ahead. (laughs) Jacob's blessing. Go back to Genesis 48. We'll see. Now Jacob, now an old man, he's passing on the blessing to his Grandsons, actually, (laughs) here in Genesis 48, uh, the author has told us that Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. Okay, So in Genesis 48, here in verses 15 and 16, uh, he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me, all my life long to this day. Now that's interesting because Isaac said God's going to give you grain and wine. He's going to take care of you. You're, gonna, you're never going to lack. And he's like, here is the end of his life. He's like, that was true. He says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil bless the lads Ephraim and Manasseh. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he reiterates the promise that was given to Abraham, passed on to his dad. And now Jacob is prophesying with great authority upon the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay? By the way... um, I do want to just give you the interesting little detail with Ephraim and Manasseh, as you may know. Manasseh was the firstborn, Ephraim was the secondborn, all right? And uh, so, you know, the custom was that you would, uh, the father would put his hand on the head of the firstborn. And so Jacob's sitting on a bed, Uh, Joseph approaches and he's got Manasseh on his left So that Jacob could put his hand on Manasseh, his right hand on Manasseh's head, because you would give the first blessing with your right hand. It's just a cultural thing they would do. Ephraim was on the left. So Jacob approaches, right? It's the big moment. The blessing's going to get passed. They're going to get adopted. That's what's happening here. These sons were born in Egypt. You know that, right? Joseph became vice pharaoh, he was the VP of Egypt, the most powerful man on the greatest dynasty on the whole planet. That man had power. His boys grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth. They had the privilege and access to anything you wanted. Which, sorry, but it's just sort of interesting to me. Here's this old man, Jacob, blessing them, going, hey, you're included in the family now. It's like, oh, so let me get this straight. I'm supposed to leave Egypt to go live in a wilderness (laughs) for 40 years, and I get to be a shepherd? (laughs) Right? It was like, ah, uh, no thank you. <laughs> yeah. But it was way, way deeper than that. No, he's, he's adopting them in, yes, literally f- family, physically, but spiritually. He's conferring the greatness of God's kingdom upon these two boys. Anyway, back to my story. Here comes Manasseh and Ephraim, right hand, left hand. And Jacob does this amazing thing, right? As the boys come forward, he goes, uh. <laughs> he crossed it up. He crossed it up. He put his right hand over here on the younger and his left hand on the older. Which is a very interesting thing because it's, there is a pattern. Starting with Abel and Cain and Abel. Cain was the firstborn. Abel was the secondborn. The secondborn is the one who worshipped God. Ishmael was the firstborn. The second born, Isaac, is the one who worshiped God. Esau, Jacob's twin brother, was the first born. It's the second born who worshiped God. You must be born again. You've been born once physically, John 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Those who are born of the spirit worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. And and Jacob, in some prophetic moment of great grace, he comes along and he's like, check it out, Joseph. (laughs) And he blesses those two boys. Back to Hebrews 11, verse 21. Just toggle back over there if you would. Look at the verse again with me. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying blessed all right we understand blessing a little bit better now it's not just good wishes no it's it's great favor from god bestowed upon god's children blessed each of the sons of joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff so he did two things he blessed joseph's sons and he worshiped while leaning on his staff uh, the significance of the fact that he blessed Joseph's two sons, there's a couple of things there. Uh, in that, first of all, uh, Jacob uh, was in Egypt when that happened. He'd left the promised land, and now he's living in Egypt, and there was no future for him going back to the land that God had promised to multiply these chosen people. And yet, he gave that blessing in that land. It wasn't based on his geographical location. It was he set his foot, he anchored himself and planted in God's character and in his word. Amen? That's a pretty powerful thing. Hey, Ephraim and Manasseh, welcome to the family. God promised us all these amazing things. We're going to multiply into a nation. We're going to inhabit this land of Canaan. I know we're in Egypt right now. Don't worry, God said it. Right? Powerful stuff. And this also tells us that he worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. Interesting. Um, I think, I don't know, my takeaway from that is that he's leaning (laughs) because, you know, Jacob had a life of wrestling with God. He just did. He tried to do a lot of things with his own skill and you know, he was gifted in a lot of ways. A smart guy, pretty crafty and shrewd in business and knew how to do stuff. But he, that's the problem. He, he took a lot of uh, reliance on his own giftings, his own nature. And God patiently worked with him over a long period of time. He, there was this constant wrestling, ultimately literally wrestled with an angel, until he finally gave up and submitted. And then God permanently wounded him, touched the hollow of his thigh, and he walked around with a limp for the rest of his life. So he's leaning <laughs> on his staff. And I think that message tells us a lot. You lean on the Lord. Trust not in your own understanding. Right? Jacob could say that as he blessed those boys. He knew from his experience with God. And I think it also tells me the fact that He worshiped, no regrets. No regrets. My God is faithful. My God is good. He has spoken to me and He has told me I am His. I have no regrets. Was it difficult? Big time. Were there challenges? Did I sin? Yeah. But He's good. In life, in the kingdom, there's forgiveness. And he's faithful to uphold his word to us. Didn't Paul say that to the Philippians? Right? He who's begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it until the day he comes back. Or you die, whichever is first. (laughs) Right? He's going to complete it. Are we going to fall into the trap of, yeah, you know, I got some skills, I got some abilities here, and we start doing those things on our own? The Lord's faithful. By his spirit to teach us that, yeah, use those for my glory. Just don't trust in those things. That's the thing. Trust in me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So that's, I guess, a couple takeaways. It also tells us that when he was dying, (laughs) right? So like Isaac, Jacob, right to the end of his life, could say these amazing words. He He could give a blessing, right? He finished well. Maybe it really doesn't matter how you start. Maybe what's more important is how you finish. Because how you finish tells you you got a good start. If you've truly been regenerated by the Spirit of God, then His Spirit is in you. He's going to complete the work He's begun in you. And although, and saints, take a step back and just absorb that for a moment because as we look at each other and as we compare our lives with each other, because we do it, don't get an attitude. (laughs) right? God's at work in them. Just like he's at work in you. So be kind, be patient, be suffered long, right? That's what I want, right? I want mercy. So extend mercy to one another. Yeah, well, you know, they still do, or they still watch, or they still subscribe to, okay, God's at work. Is there fruit manifested in their life? Do they love God? Do they repent of sin? Do they take nourishment from the truth of the Word of God? All these sort of signposts that indicate real relationship? Yeah. All right then. Chill out. God's at work. We live in His kingdom. We're brothers and sisters. Rather adopt the attitude of, how can I serve you, man? How can I encourage you? Verse 22, we'll close with this. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying... (laughs) made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Back to Genesis, last chapter, verse 50, or chapter 50, right? Uh, Final words from Joseph. Wow, what an interesting dude he is, right? Joseph, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, there's so much that could be said about Joseph, right? I mean, that man lived by faith. That man was such a, by the way, a, beautiful type of Christ in so many ways. Uh, The author doesn't get into any of that. He just sort of condenses it down to his final words. Here in chapter 50, the way the book of Genesis ends, verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then, notice what God had sworn, right? He's trusting in God's character and in God's word. Verse 25, then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. It's not like, hey, would you do this? No, it's like, it's it's a foregone conclusion. Now, you all know, right? Joseph died, tells us the next verse. He died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, put him in a coffin in a coffin in Egypt. Somebody once pointed out, by the way, the book ends, Genesis, in the beginning God, and it ends with, in a coffin in Egypt. Wow. <laughs> That's powerful. So for like hundreds of years, Joseph was not put into a pyramid or buried or whatever. His coffin just was there. And people could, Jewish people could go by and go, yeah, I remember that guy. I remember what he said. And he makes me remember what God said that I'm going to take my people out of Egypt and I'm going to bring them into my promised land and I'm going to bless them. So Joseph gave that command, that word. For him, it was factual and actual, right? He had confidence in God and in his word. Life in the kingdom. So I just close with this. Uh, those men lived in the kingdom of God that had been given to them. They lived in the kingdom that had been given to them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There was and is an invisible God that was directing the affairs of their life and all of life. Sovereignly powerfully directed the affairs of those men. It didn't absolve them from personal choice. They still lived it out. And they still had responsibility for the choices they made along the way. And there's that beautiful harmony of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And at the end of their lives, they say to you and me today, it's worth it. Keep following Jesus Christ. We have better promises. Because that invisible God became visible. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that great King, Jesus, gave His life to redeem, to ransom sinners back from death and hell and the lies of the devil and to redeem us and to put his spirit in us and to give us new birth and a relationship with him. And it's anchored in the scriptures and in the character of God. It always fascinated me, Jesus' conversation with Pilate in John 18. As they, they dragged Jesus in front of Pilate and Pilate said, are you the king of the... Are you the king? Of the Jews? And I'll just paraphrase. Jesus basically said, did you figure that out for yourself? <laughs> or did other people tell you that? And then he famously said, my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, we'd be at war right now, Pilate. Rome, my people my kingdom is not from here the kingdom of god is not food and drink it's righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit romans 14:17 Enjoy God. Love Him. Love Him humbly and simply. Just do the best you can to obey what the Scriptures say and trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His ascension and His second coming. Jesus famously said don't be afraid little flock it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom (laughs) worship the king I'm not even going to attempt to sing but as I got up this morning a hymn came into my mind all hail the power of Jesus name let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem. And I don't know the rest. Crown him, of crown him Lord of all. Thank you. him. Ray. Let's stand and crown him with our praise. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's so good to be grateful. Grateful for salvation, for for knowing you, Lord. Grateful for all your goodness that you've made us kings and priests. We have full access to you, Lord. We're grateful. We thank you so much for the church, the body of Christ. Lord, we just want to exalt you. (laughs) Exalt the Lord our God. As Andrew reminded us this morning, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. will draw inspiration and encouragement from Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. No regrets. They worshipped and were thankful to the very end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>